Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors and the stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. In 2020, they created Friends in Fiction to provide author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Well, welcome to Friends in Fiction. It's Wednesday night, it's 11 o'clock, and we're so glad you're here. Every week, we are so tickled to see where y'all coming from all (laughs) over the country. So I like it when you all say where you're from. It's fun. So thank you for joining us. And tonight, we have a wonderful guest, Anne Napolitano. And she's here to discuss her new novel. Well, it's actually coming out in paperback, Dear Edward. I'm Mary Alice Monroe. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. And I'm Patty Callahan-Henry. The novel Dear Edward was one of the most insightful and moving books I've read in 2020, maybe ever. So here's the story. Imagine you are on a plane with your family and that plane crashes, killing 191 passengers, including your family. Now, imagine you are the only survivor. And that's what happened to the protagonist, 12-year-old, Eddie Adler. And so you will be sitting on the edge of your seat reading it. Before we begin our discussion tonight, we want to thank our new sponsor, Page One Books. Page One offers a subscription package, which is basically a personalized service that hand selects books for you based on your preferences and their knowledge. Like we say all the time here on Friends in Fiction, nothing replaces the personal touch of a real, live, independent bookseller. And this is no exception. Your books are not chosen by an algorithm. They're chosen by a real, live person. And here's how it works. You choose a three, a six, or a 12-month subscription. Then you fill out the short questionnaire about your likes and dislikes, your desires, your hopes, and your dreams. And then page one does their literary magical matchmaking. And so you receive a book hand-chosen for you and beautifully wrapped with a special literary treat enclosed. And first-time subscribers get 10% off with the code GUESS. Fab five. <laughs> we have more information on our Friends and Fiction Facebook page. And then, you know, while you are um, reading and choosing all the things that you want to read next, do not forget our friends at Mama Geraldine's. And don't forget to keep on snacking. <laughs> <laughs> and we do. <laughs> and Napolitano's third novel, Dear Edward, hit the literary world with a storm of accolades. It debuted at number two, ladies, number two on the New York wow. Times. In its review, the New York Times called Dear Edward, quote, a suspenseful page turner. And it is. I couldn't put it down. So this book bursts onto the scene. It was a Read with Jenna book club pick who called it, quote, a dazzling novel, and it will break your heart and put it back together again. It's a very uplifting book. Dear Edward was also chosen as one of the best novels of 2020 by The Washington Post, The Boston Globe, Amazon, Real Simple, Fast Company, Parade, Women's World, and more. It was also a book of the month club pick. So if you haven't read it yet, good news. Dear Edward was just released in paperback yesterday. So without further ado, let's welcome Anne. Yeah. Hi, Anne. Anne. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. It's our treat. We're really delighted to have you. And my goodness, you've had such an exciting year. So the book comes out in January 2020. And that was just before our country was really hit by the pandemic, right? Yeah. And... You know, by March, the five of us began talking to each other, as most of our audience already knows. And we were on Zoom and we had canceled book tours. 
And we were talking about that and how Howard hit the bookstores were by the shutdowns. And that's basically how Friends and Fiction started. So we're all writers, of course, but we're also mothers and grandmothers. So here we are a year later and the pandemic is spiking again and the snow has closed a lot of schools again. And you have two boys, right? Yeah, they're 11 and 13. All right. So how are you dealing with the pandemic, not just as a writer and a mother, but um, making it work? How are you making it with all these stay at home? Are they staying at home? Tell us a little bit about it. Well, it's been a very strange year um, for all of us. And having Dear Edward come out in the beginning of it, it just, I think, well, I feel so fortunate that it came out two months before the world shut down. So I was able to go to bookstores and go on tour and like properly launch it. I feel incredibly grateful and lucky for that. Um, And then, I don't know, it's a kind of streamlined life. I mean, it's done a lot of interesting things, I think. I've written more in the last 10 months than I've ever written before in my life, like in a concentrated period. Because like having an alternate fictional universe to go into that I can control is like really satisfying something inside of me that is feels so out of control with everything else. Do you guys have that? Yeah, you know, we had a very similar kind of experience. All five of us were, you know, we were so anxious. We started doing 7 a.m. Zooms and writing sprints starting at 7 a.m. And I don't you all think, I don't know about yeah. you other ladies, but this this has had to have been the most productive year of my life. Oh, 100%. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Me too. I've never, I've almost written the draft of a novel. It took me eight years to write Dear Edward. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, part of that was I, because I had two little children and yeah. I couldn't really afford childcare, you know, so like I was very stretched in various yeah. ways. So that was certainly part of it, but I've never, it blows my mind how much I've written and the amount of hours that I've written for in the past year, but I'm just so grateful for it. It's like, you really, you really figure out what nourishes you in this yeah. kind of experience, you know, and, yeah. and then, you know, of course, hopefully that's your children and your family. Mm-hmm. And I really like have deeply enjoyed my mm-hmm. children and we've watched a movie together every night, you know, oh, like we wow. started these sort of like new traditions, like while we mm-hmm. eat dinner and we have like alternating documentary and whatever. But oh, that's that's fun. Like I it, love that. it narrows your life, but you go deeper. Um, yeah. And in all the ways that are that it's unsettling the I think the writing has has like offered this sort of salve and reprieve in this way that I feel so lucky for and it's so interesting too to like have this opportunity to go so deep when normally our lives are so much more you know scattered that we couldn't even possibly do it um so right that's so true I mean it really is I think it's such a good way to my son is nine and we were at you know dinner last night chatting and he said last summer was so fun do you think this summer is gonna be as fun and i was Aww. like we do live at the beach so we were able to be outside a lot and it was sort of a different but it was just very simple like there was there's not yeah. much to do and you know it was just great and I have two books coming out in 2021 because I wrote so much so wow. it's great Isn't that crazy <laughs> yeah so, and for us, like, like Mary Kay said, it's been these morning writing sprints that we do together. And I think that's what's made us, or at least during a portion of the year that made us also productive. When during the day are you finding time to fit writing in, especially with the kids at home? For me, it's more in the afternoon. Like I am busy. I'm sort of in charge of the morning with the boys, like getting them through the various things that they have to get to. And then yeah. they get lunch and then my husband is more or less in charge of the whole afternoon. So it's like, that's how it's basically worked out. And then I write all day on the weekends. Like if they're on Saturday, they're allowed to play video games a lot. (laughs) And uh, so Saturdays is like a big writing day for me. Um, You know, so it's, it's really like, it's, it's where I turn to every opportunity that I have. Um, But I feel so like I, and I've realized how deeply introverted I am because I really miss my friends and I do miss like the human human connection with other yeah. humans. But yeah. like I feel like I've only suffered like fifteen percent because I really yeah. am like happy yeah. and deepest like inside myself. So yes. I feel terrible for like true extroverts because I think that's Yeah, but I think it's true. One of the things that we, a lot of us realized at the beginning was our life really hadn't changed all that much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're all anyway. So your children are home then from school? Yeah, they're um 
we're actually homeschooling them. Um, we had actually, we had decided um, to homeschool them for middle school, just middle school. Um, so my, we now have an eighth and a sixth grader. So they both went to elementary school in our neighborhood. And then my older son, we've been homeschooling now, this is third year and he'll go to high school next year. And so this is the first year of homeschooling my younger son. And my husband does it. He's a teacher and a tutor. So like he's, he's wow. really inter interested in education. Wow. And we felt like middle school is like, it's just a tricky period when you're growing and changing. It is so awkward and um, that we could do like interesting educational things on our own and maybe hopefully pull them off the treadmill of like middle school social issues. Wow. Um, so, I mean, my husband gets like all the credit, but it, it's allowed us freedom this year where we're not really as, we're not tied to remote schooling and things like that. What perfect timing. <laughs> That's, I mean, just what a yeah. wonderful year to have them both in middle school. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. And you know, it does sort of follow the, the story a little, you know, I know. The father educated the boys at home yeah. with homeschooling. Yeah. Well, I'm always interested um, when we talk about the novels all the time is when someone pulls a dual timeline like you did. I think timelines are really interesting. And it's a big decision in, in, when you're a writer starting your novel. So in Dear Edward, you had the dual timeline. And the first begins, for those who haven't read the book, the first begins with chapter one, when all the passengers board the plane. And we know it's an ill-fated plane. And the second chapter, chapter, the second part begins with chapter two. And it's weeks later and Edward's already beginning his recovery. And you really deftly flip between the two timelines, the past and the present. And you increase the pace of the time of the shifting timelines until you reach that inevitable crash. And it's very exciting. You're at the edge of your seat, but it's also a very poignant, uplifting conclusion in timeline two. So even though you know it's happening, it's 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 beautifully done. So can I ask you how you decided on this timeline and how many did you have to change it as you worked with it? No, it was one of the few things that I knew when I started that I wanted to do, I wasn't really sure why, but I want, I knew I wanted them to sit side by side. And I think in some ways it, it was because I felt like if something that catastrophic happened to a person is what happens to Edward, that it's a weight that you have to carry for the rest of your life. And it's not something that you've set down. And the events of that day on the airplane will remain as like real and true and as a big a part of who he is as his current life. So yeah. I wanted them to to sit beside each other and both be in the present tense. And then also I felt like we have this way, of course, like of prioritizing the living where it's the living that are special and their lives are important. But I also wanted to show that everyone on that plane is just as like real and 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 important and substantial and wonderful as the people on the ground. So like to leave them up in the air for the course of the novel. Um, yeah side by side with the people who are still living. Mm -hmm. I didn't really think about how the fact that it would then, you know, allowed the end to like have a sort of orchestral build, but that was very, you know, pleasant, um, <laughs> like discovery. Mm -hmm. And then also it, because the people on the plane initially think it's just a normal day, they're, they're fine when Edward on the ground is devastated. And then by the end of the, towards the end of the book, Edward's getting lighter because he's, moving on or moving forward and the people on the plane are getting darker. So like, I think it balances the book. It's um, okay. yeah. kind of way that I did not intend either. Oh, that's so wow. interesting. Um, I, now that you pointed out, I can, I'm nodding my head going, Oh yes, she did that. Yeah. You know, the happier yeah. and the lighter of the characters. Yeah. yeah. Which is exactly what we needed because at the end of the book, you want the reader to feel positive. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. That's good. I didn't know. I actually, I didn't know how, I knew it was going to, obviously I knew the plane was going to crash, but I didn't know whether Edward could be okay. That was kind of what drove me into the book was yeah. there was a real plane crash in 2010 that sort of inspired the novel. There was a flight from South Africa bound for London and it crashed in mm. Libya and there was only one survivor and it was a nine-year-old Dutch boy. And they found him about a half mile away from the rest of the wreckage. And he was still buckled into his airplane seat. And he had a punctured wow. lung and a broken leg. But he was otherwise completely fine. Oh, my goodness. Everyone else on the flight, including his parents and his brother, had died immediately. 
And it was wow. huge news, like 24 yeah. seven, you know, a cover of every international newspaper. And I was wow. like obsessed with that story from the second it happened. Wow. And I, when I would, they had this one photo that would accompany, even if you Google this crash now, there's one photo that accompanies all the coverage and it's of this, of the little boy in his hospital bed. Um, and he's nine, he's beautiful and tiny and he has a bandage around his head and his eyes are closed. Wow. And I would look at this picture and just think, like, how can this little boy be expected to get out of that hospital bed and walk out of that hospital without his mom and his dad and his brother? Like, how is that possible? And like, how can he go on and have a Wednesday or like eat a peanut butter sandwich or make yeah, a friend? Absolutely. So I really didn't know if what drove me into writing the book was that obsession and then needing to go into the story to try and like take the steps with Edward to see if it was possible. Um, wow. Do you think, Anne, that the fact that now, how, how old were your boys when you started writing the book? Were you thinking a lot about, oh, my God, what if this were my child? How would they deal with it? I think that was part of it. They were one and three. So they were yeah. really little. Yeah, wow. so I think yeah. that in some way it's like it is like if something horrible happened to them and I wasn't there, like could the world take care of them? You know, like, wow. is, is there enough kindness? So I did want to know that too clearly like if it if something horrible happens and outside of my control god forbid then yeah. what does that mean mm-hmm. so it's mm. a little bit a little bit of transference maybe yeah 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 and the two brothers in the book are not my sons but they're they're the only like this so my boys were one and three and you know when babies are that age like they're idiots like they're they're like <laughs> It's like living with two drunk bear cubs, you know, like, <laughs> like wrestling around your house. Like one had a bucket on his head, like half the time. And it, you don't know anything about your children when they're that young. You can't be like, oh, he has a real gift for math or this one has a strong moral code or, you know, he's very fine. Like, you know, like nothing about them. So the only thing that I knew about my sons when I started writing the book was that they were deeply in love with each other. And I can't take no credit, neither can my husband. You know, it's like one of those things where from when I brought my younger son, they're two years apart, when I brought my younger son home from the hospital, it was like I was reuniting them as opposed to introducing them. And so that love, I think I normally would have thought being a parent that like the loss of the parent is the worst thing. But watching my sons, I was like, it just would be like a crime against nature to separate them. Like you're not, yeah. they're peers. They're not meant to lose each other. Yeah, right. So, yeah. so that yeah. made its way into the book. You know, I felt like a passenger on that plane, Anne. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were so many details and familiar experiences and a lot happened. How yeah. on earth did you find out so much about the crash about a plane crash and the passengers and, but what's going on in the cockpit. Um, I think uh, the research must've been really um, daunting. (laughs) Well, it was really interesting. Um, The the first year of the project, the the book that I wrote before this took me seven years. And while I did it, I fought it the whole time. Like Flannery O'Connor showed up in that book, the writer. (laughs) And I was so mortified and horrified that she showed up in that book that I fought because I'm from New Jersey and you don't write about Southern literary icons. <laughs> you're from the Northeast. <laughs> no, you just don't. Like it's just it's bad. And I didn't want to do it, but I like I wrestled with that book the whole time. And when I finished it, I got it to a place where I was proud of it and liked it. And my husband was like, "This is a labor of love. Like I think you should do it differently next time. Like this was." Mm not a pleasant experience for you. And so he, he suggested that after the first year of whatever the next project was, that I don't let myself write what I call pretty sentences. Because <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. nothing better than to like go into a scene and have a character say something I didn't expect and, you know, like have it unfurl and get into yeah. the rhythm of the language and everything. But I can't think like analytically at all when I'm in that space. So he said I should, his challenge was that I would take a year where I could only think, take notes and do research, Wow, um, which was very painful for me. <laughs> and I was really smart. annoyed at him, but he also, but I, I suspected that it was right. And he was, he was very smart. It was very helpful for me. So that first year I figured out who I wanted to be on the plane. I did a lot of reading, like each of those characters, like Crispin Cox, the octogenarian billionaire on the flight. Yeah. 
Like I read um, Jack Welch's autobiography of the guy who ran GE for like yeah. 40 years. It's called Jack Straight from the Gut, and it's very funny. It's not supposed to be funny, but it's very funny. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, like, <laughs> like, so, like I read, you know, I read about war, I read soldiers, I read about pure math, like all the, like I was, and like Florida was inspired by reading Neil Gaiman that year. Um, so, and then I also, during that year, obviously, I spoke to a career pilot extensively. I read all the National Transportation Safety Board hearings for crashes over the last like 15 years. Oh my had, goodness. Wow. It was really interesting though. Yeah, but I had to figure out like why my plane would crash and I wanted it yeah. to feel real and true because I didn't want to like wing it. There's nothing, yeah. except, I don't know anything about yeah. you know, aerodynamics yeah. or yeah. Uh, aeronautics. So I, I, it was really important to me that it feel real. Um, so I actually based the reason for the crash on another crash that had happened in 2009, um, an Air France oh. crash from Rio de Janeiro to Paris that crashed into the ocean. Um, yeah, they found the black box three years later. So, yes, I did a lot of research, but it was like a way wow. for me to fill that year and get to the place where I got to write the pretty sentences. Wow. And also because mm -hmm. it was about something that I really had no expertise or knowledge in, it was required. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's incredible. So, and you know, one of the things, one of the issues I have with writing about tragedy is that I never look at the thing I've written about the same way again after I've written about it. So, for example, I've written a few times about the horrors of World War II in Paris, mm -hmm. and that has completely changed the way that I experience Paris now. Um, I, you know, I think sort of once you open that door and learn something, you kind of can't unlearn it. Yeah. Has this changed the way you experience air travel and did it, is, is it different now that the book is out of you than it was when you were deep in the research and having to right, fly right. places? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, I was always a nervous flyer. I just know a lot more now. And when I interviewed like the pilots, yeah. pilots like say casually say things like, oh, pilots don't like to fly Airbuses because when something goes wrong, the, the tail cracks off. And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> so like, I know I'm sorry I'm sorry it's in my head I'm gonna need extensive therapy after this <laughs> yeah. so yeah you do you take on knowledge that you can't unknow yeah. but I think at the same time I always thought the flying was amazing and I, yeah. I like I think it's awesome like in the true sense of the word awesome like I can never sleep on airplanes in part because I feel like I might be called upon to fly the plane and they need to be alert. I can't sleep on buses or any, I really can't sleep on any public transportation, but also because I'm like, we're up in the sky. Like this is extraordinary. Like I can't sleep through this. So it really reinforced that too, where I'm just like, this is it's so it's like one of the things that humans have done that is truly impressive. And there's like seemingly so few of those at the moment that it's like, it's, you know, you want to hold on to like moments of human in ingenuity wherever you see them. Oh, that's yeah. a nice way to put it. That's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. That was a pretty sentence, Anne. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're impressed. Thank you so much. Well, um, and in part one of the book, Edward is coming out of trauma, much like I am going to be after. <laughs> 30 minutes of talking about the plane crash. Plane crashes. I'm sitting here thinking I used to be so terrified of planes and then having to fly so much on book tour, like day after day after day after day, I just got over it. Like I just yeah, had to, yeah. there was no, yeah. and now I'm like, yeah. I haven't been on an airplane in yeah. a year and I'm going to be like starting all over in this. Yeah. This hasn't helped. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get on a plane. Just, I'm just wait. cheesing. Yeah. Christy's doing a bicycle book tour. I'm <laughs> 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 across the country on my bike. <laughs> um, you're, I'm sorry. That, I need to get back on track. Really? Yeah. Um, but the New York Times wrote that it's a haunting novel that's a masterful study in suspense, grief, and survival, which is so perfectly said. Your attention to the smallest detail in Edward's thoughts and how he learns and reconnects with his body were brilliant. We were in his head. So how did you learn such telling details about trauma and recovery? Well, I did reading also about um, soul survivors um, who survive crashes and events like that and how they feel afterwards. I read about human, about like child development, because obviously he's 12 when the book starts. So he actually 
goes through adolescence um, as well as through what he's going through. Um, and then a lot of it was like, it was feel. It was like, I, I feel like I had to go through his chapters like in him and taking each step with him and, and trying to feel which was true and which like, like you have like a tuning fork or whatever. Yeah. Like I had to put up a tuning fork with like every moment with him and I could just tell if it rang true or not. I couldn't tell whether it was good, but like I could tell if it was true. And it was his story that playing was, so to speak, easy to write because it had a beginning, a middle and an end. I knew who the people were. Only so many things can happen on an airplane. Right. Um, someone has to have sex in the bathroom and then, you know, what else are you going to yeah, do? Yeah, right. I mean, they have to not be a germaphobe. So it can only be like a certain person on the <laughs> <laughs> person. It's true. Not um, but like Edward, I really didn't know what was, I didn't know how to, I didn't know what was going to happen with him. And I didn't know how far I was going time. And I didn't know a lot. All I knew I really was that, he was going to go home with his aunt and uncle and that there was going to be a girl who lived next door and that he was going to end up sleeping on her floor. And I didn't even know how that was going to happen. That seemed weird. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I really had to do it all like by feel. Mm -hmm. oh, I love that. I love the idea of that, the tuning fork. I'm, I'm like, I want to like write that down and take notes. Cause that's such a good way to put it. Like, would my character feel this, do this, say this? It's yeah. just, it's, and it is kind of a gut feeling, I think, more than anything. Yeah, it's like an emotion, emotional response as a reader, but it's also an emotional response yeah. as the writer. Mm -hmm. If you're inhabiting the person yeah. fully, mm -hmm. you, you can just feel if it's a true note or a false note. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we can yeah. tell and we can tell if we're forcing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we're forcing them into being what they're not because we want it for our outline. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. if we're paying attention, we can feel it in our guts. So yeah. when I read the book, it, for me, you hit notes so true that I found myself nodding. And I hadn't felt that sort of opening up of my way of looking at a situation since I read The Curious Incident of the Dog at Midnight. Oh, I love that book. When you're in the, yeah, when you're in the head of the kid with Asperger's. Mm -hmm. And you put us into the head in a very original, fresh, and telling way of someone who'd gone through trauma, just in the way he connected with his brain and he connected with his body. It was really beautifully done. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and, and and because it was beautifully done in the midst of tragedy, that's the interesting yeah. part, right? Mm -hmm. So there's always these glimmers of hope mm -hmm. and connection, even in tragedy. We've seen it in the pandemic. We see it in your novel. There are there's all this tragedy and loss, and yet there's these kindnesses extended, these kind of small outreaches of kindness, these letters that are written. And in some of the last words people said on the plane, it makes us wonder what, or makes me wonder, what would, what would my last words have been? Would I have extended those kind of kindnesses? Yeah. And so it makes me wonder, did those grow organically for you? Or were those kind of a conversation between you and the characters in the book? Or were those were those intentional as you set out, or did they grow out of this conversation between you and the characters in the book? A conversation, I guess, would be the right way to put it. I think. Okay. You mean at the end, or or no? All these glimmers of hope. The kindness yeah. is extended. The hope that's offered. The beauty of the friendship with the little girl. All of mm -hmm. these kindnesses. They seem. To have grown organically. Yeah, I wonder how, what your guys' experience is of writing when you write tragedy or you write something that's incredibly sad. Yeah. Because this writing this book was the most joyful writing experience of my life. And I think that a lot of it, initially, it's still counterintuitive, but initially I was like, I have, can't even begin to understand why that would be. But now I think it's because yeah. I was in Edward and all the people around him were stepping forward with like with kindness, with human flawed yeah. kindness. And so I felt that pressing at me the whole time. Yeah. And it was very nourishing. And yeah. it was like, it was the world that I want to live in, in real life. And I was living in it every day when I was writing to the extent where I didn't want to stop. I, I wrote this book for a year longer than I should have. I ended up like, like living in it. I didn't want to stop. Like I didn't want to leave the world. Yeah. It was very hard for me to leave it. 
Um, that's, yeah, that's what I, this, this conversation and I feel like the book is having that same conversation with us. Mm-hmm. It's such right. an important time. Here, this book came out January 2020. And look what happened in this last year. Yeah. I think we need this book. Well, I can't say that, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it for you, Anne. If you haven't can. read the book, you need this book. Because you walk away feeling better about people and the connections we have. Yep. As we do in Friends in Fiction, I think. Yeah. yeah, yes, yes. Like, well, you what you guys did is, is stepping forward to try and connect and to share something that you love with each other and then with other people. It's, I mean, I do think, I mean, I was living in New York City on 9-11 and the, the thing that I think of that makes me think of this is the people lining the sides of the highway to clap for the um, emergency workers and how how emergency workers were getting into their cars and trucks in Colorado and Arizona and California and driving across the country just because they wanted to help. And then all these New Yorkers are standing there applauding them as they drive in. And the hundreds and hundreds of people that showed up to donate blood that morning, thinking and hoping that they were going to be able to help. Because when something terrible happens, that is like the most beautiful part of who we are as humans. We step forward and say, how can I help? And that is what this book is. And so I got to live like in those moments all the time. And it was a really like beautiful and like and joyful place for me to reside. Do you think you could have written this book, Anne, if you hadn't been in New York in the aftermath of 9-11? Knowing, seeing that response um, and feeling that response, did you kind of, I I wonder if you could have, like, I wasn't there. I read about it, you know, long distance in Atlanta, Georgia, and I don't know that I could have written it from that point of view that you have. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it certainly struck me very deeply, um, all of it, though. So, um, and it's so composite, you know, like what I've written it if my children, if I didn't have two boys that were one and three, I don't know. I mean, I had no prior interest in plane crashes or, you know, like becoming obsessed with that crash was an anomaly. But I love that. Like, I love as writers that if you pay attention to the things that obsess you, it just pulls you deeper into your work. And that's like really exciting to me to be like, like shortly in the middle of this book, I became obsessed with the history of basketball. Why? I don't know. <laughs> There's a book there somewhere. You're going to well, figure it out. <laughs> in the book I'm writing now, it like comes into play, but oh, I don't know. Interesting. And I can't understand it like intellectually, but I know that it ties into like, what I'm writing towards and, and what I care about when I think. And that's so fascinating for me to hear what other people are obsessed with, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Hmm. Well, this is yeah, a perfect least- segue. Uh, one of the things that we do all the time, and one of the reasons we started Friends in Fiction is to support independent booksellers. Mm-hmm. And so we were mentioning about this, this support that we want to give one another. And right now, the pandemic is continuing and the strain on independent bookstores is still continuing. And, Again, these bookstores are the bedrock of our communities. And it's where we go to get advice on the next book. And it's not just a, a, a online, you pick something, they guide you. And maybe you can get a cup of coffee or join other readers. And we want these great bookstores around when we authors get back on the road. Because everyone out there, it's the independent bookstores who bring us to you in your community. And so, Anne, I'm curious, why did you choose tonight's independent bookstore Books are magic. <laughs> Did I freeze? Oh, I was like, "Oh no, what's going on?" And can you? Are you un, are you unfrozen, or are you like Elsa, frozen? <laughs> she might be. Oh, she might be frozen. So until she gets unfrozen, I will tell you a little bit about. Uh, Books Are Magic, which is in Brooklyn, and it's owned by a best-selling author, uh, Emma Straub. So it's Books Are Magic. And all of our viewers can get 10% off on Anne's book, Dear Edward, as well as the upcoming books, The Five of Us, which are The Newcomers, Summer of Lost and Found, (laughs) Surviving Savannah, Under the Southern Sky, and The Forest of Vanishing Stars. And the links to Books Are Magic can be found on our Facebook page, and as Mary Alice said, they need our support. Now, maybe, Anne, are you on Frozen now, Anne? Anne's back. 
Oh, oh, she just oh, froze no. again. Oh, no, she, no, listen, I am so sympathetic. Oh, no. We're losing our power all the time. Oh, there um, she is. She is. Okay. She's she is. Hi, you you're soft. I, I sympathize completely. I'm um, so sorry. And we were asking, why did you choose Books Are Magic? That's your a local bookstore for you? Yes. it's. I feel like it's a national, like nationally known bookstore as well because it's so fabulous. Have you guys been there? It's, no, and it's it's one of the uh, one of the co owners is a writer Emma Straub, and um, yeah. she used to work at Book Court, which was a famous bookstore in Brooklyn, and so she started Books Are Magic when Book Court closed, and Emma is made of like uh, glitter and gumdrops, and <laughs> like oh, she just, she, she's amazing, like she radiates like actual like glitter. So the, the, the store, so is, the store is like an emanation of her. It has like beautiful shuttered windows and like a children's section that has like a little circle that kids can sit in and couches and they have amazing events there because like just the spirit of it. I mean, I love all independent bookstores because they're all so different, but books are magic. And it has like an, a wall outside that everybody takes Instagram pictures of because it says no, books are magic. Awesome. And so people pose there. Um, it's just a wonderful, wonderful bookstore. Well, Emma, we all now want to come to your store. So <laughs> be prepared. Here we come. You and should. also, Really good news um, for all of you out there who would like to support Books Are Magic. Anne has agreed to send, a, she lives nearby and she'll send autographed book plates and work it out with the bookstore to get your book signed. So yeah. big bonus, you can get a signed copy of the book. So we've had our chance to ask questions and now it's the Friends and Fiction members time. For all of you watching, you can post a question and we'll try and grab a couple later on. So the first one is from a woman named Evdi Bartoness Cohen. And she says, I loved the character that was the principal. Did you know an educator that was like that? Well, I froze for a second when you're reading that. I'm so sorry. Could you say it again? Do you want? Yeah, sure. Um, I loved the character that was the principal. Did Anne, no. did you know an educator that was like that? I love him too. And I didn't know that he was going to be in the book. He, when he tapped mm -hmm. Edward on the shoulder, when he, at his first oh, day of school, that. I thought like, oh, it's the principal. Like the principal would show up to, you know, meet this child and make sure he was okay in the situation that he's in. And then they walked to his office and he opened the door and it was full of plants. I was like, who is this man? Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I love how you follow your characters like that. It's just, it's, it's so inspiring to know that you don't, Put, it, put them in these little pockets and make sure that they do what they do and you follow them into their office and see their plants. That's yeah, awesome. it's like being a reader though. It's like an active discovery, but that's why yeah. it takes me a ridiculous amount of time to write my books because I'm following people around and then I have to like corral it into being a cohesive novel. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, we also have a question from Christine Curran. Um, she said, what inspired the letters as a way of families to communicate with Edward? Oh, that showed up in a fairly early draft. Like he found a, a duffel bag full of letters from the families of other pe the people who had been lost in the crash. So I don't know. I, I, he stumbled across this duffel bag and I was like, oh, I wonder what's in the duffel bag. And, uh, and there were letters to him. And I was always looking for ways to connect what was happening on the ground with what was happening in the sky. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. those letters ended up being this wonderful way for me to sort of to, to tie the two together and to let Edward let Edward see that he was not alone, that there were other people who were suffering from the same experience that he had. And it also gave him an opportunity to be proactive and to to reach out and connect in ways that he hadn't had it. Everyone had been reaching out to him and now he was able to reach out in his own way, which allowed him sort of really to engage with life. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That's awesome. mm -hmm. So we have a few questions from live viewers also. Laura Rossi and Diane Nardone are both asking, what are you currently reading? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm reading uh, Transcendent Kingdom. Transcendent Kingdom, yeah. God, I God, think we yeah. have a moment. Yeah, we yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard so many Yassi. good things about wrote, that. Um, yeah, she wrote Homegoing, which came out a few years ago, which was spectacular. Um, I'm enjoying Transcendent mm -hmm. Kingdom, too. Yeah, I've heard such amazing things about that one. Mm. 
And I've got a question for you, too. Um, well, Cindy Brown wants to know all about your backlist, and she's already read Dear Edward. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> uh, my backlist. So A Good Hard Book came out in 2011, because I'm slow. And um, it's, it's set in, in Milledgeville, Georgia, which is where Flannery O'Connor lived. And it is a sort of ensemble drama that takes place in that town. Um, and Flannery is one of the three main characters. Um, yes. It, I love that. I thought it was such a brave choice. Flannery's. Okay. Oh, she's hold on. I'm going to switch. You're my coming in and out, but we're going to make this happen. All right. She's literally frozen in um, New Jersey. It's really cold. It's really cold up there. Other people speak. We have a few announcements. Let's start with our announcements so we give her a chance to come on back. Um, Christy or Kristen, I think you have an announcement to make. Yeah, we have some exciting news tonight. We actually mentioned this. We kind of did a little surprise live uh, at about 625 tonight and told you our exciting news. So next week, we will be kicking off a partnership with Parade Magazine and Parade.com. So we are going to be writing a weekly column for Parade.com. And that starts February 10th with with a wonderful column from Mary Kay Andrews. Um, We will post the link here on our Friends and Fiction Facebook page and in our newsletter. And we will also, beginning next week, be streaming live on the Parade Magazine page, too. So we're really excited about that. They're such great supporters of books. And uh, we're just really excited to be working with them. And we are um, so thrilled. We have topics we've picked up. You're going to love what we're going to write about. So just stay tuned. And I sympathize so much with Anne because my... uh, I froze and I wasn't able to participate in that. So the wild (laughs) internet tonight. And Christy. Um, The second original episode of the Friends of Fiction podcast is now live and it is incredible. Um, Our amazing Patty and Kristen discuss modern takes on literary (laughs) classics with Michael Ferris Smith. Um, They're talking about his new novel, Nick, about Nick Carraway from The Great Gatsby. And Rachel Hawkins about her novel, The Wife Upstairs, which is a modern retelling of Jane Eyre. So you can listen, download, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you will. Um, And if you like what you hear, we hope that you'll leave us a review and share our show with your friends. Well, why don't we go right to the writing tips since we have Anne back. Anne, you... You used to edit a literary magazine, and you also taught fiction writing at NYU, so I know we're all eagerly awaiting your writing tip. (laughs) Um, Well, my writing tip is more not craft so much as like an answer to the despair that people find themselves in sometimes when they're writing. Like This can happen at various points for different writers. I have a friend who every time she finishes like a first draft that she feels really excited about, and then she reads it through, and she just wants to throw herself out a window because it's, it doesn't at all like align yeah. what she had wanted it to be. We know um, that feeling. Yeah. Every uh, book. Yeah. There's no way. Like, you, there's a wall that you run into at some point where you're you like, do. this is terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible. Why am yep. I doing this? Mm-hmm. And for dear Edward, like it took so long that like four years in, I, it was like a hot mess and it, it should have been a hot mess, but I, and I couldn't see the end at all. And yeah. so at that point, I think I stole this in part from Ann Patchett. Um, but I made a deal with myself and this is what I do when I hit these moments mm-hmm. is where I, my deal with myself is that I have to write for at least five minutes a day. And when I've written for five minutes, I put an X on my calendar and my only job is to string together as many X's as possible in a row. Oh, I like that. Wow. Oh, that's very positive. And obviously most of those days you would write for more than five minutes. But even if you just check in and rewrite like a sentence, you have like plugged back into the book. And by the time I've strung together a bunch of X's and I've gotten to the book to a place where I'm like re excited about it again, or I've written a scene that I loved or, you know what I mean? It gets you through those moments of despair. Um, yeah. Awesome. That's my oh, that's a great thank you. Time. I think in the yeah, middle of winter where we're all beginning new books, that's perfect timing. It really is. For everyone, we've started a few announcements. We're going to go back to a few more announcements, but stay tuned because we have a final question for Anne. So, Mary Kay. 
Yeah, I've got an announcement. I want to tell everybody that you're going to definitely want to be with us next week for the Friends in Fiction mm-hmm. Valentine's Day episode. We are going to play Literary Spin the Bottle. I haven't even told them what's going to go on. We trust you. We trust you. <laughs> oh, you don't? I don't know. Why? Why? You do. <laughs> no, you don't. They don't trust me at all. And they shouldn't. But our special guests will be best-selling romance, women's fiction author, Susan Elizabeth Phillips. And you never know what's going to come out of that woman's mouth. Make Make sure you show up next Wednesday night for Valentine's Day. And during that show next week, while we trust Kathy with our <laughs> literary spin the bottle, um, I will be showing the trailer for Surviving Savannah, and we'll be having a little giveaway, and we will be showing the trailer for the first time on the show. Yay. Patty, so, um, tell everyone again when, you're, when Surviving Savannah is actually being released. Surviving Savannah, which is... A tongue twister, but it comes out on March 9th and yeah, it comes out on March 9th and I'm really excited. They called it the Titanic of the South and like you, Anne, it took me a lot longer than I thought it would to write it from concept to finish was was years in the making. And I'm really excited that those years in the making are a, a solid living book now. Yes. So you'll, yeah. We're all excited about that. And now we have the final question. And Anne, this is a question that we like to ask most of our visiting guests. And what were the values around reading and writing in your home while you were growing up? And did that influence you becoming an author? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Yes. Uh, My parents would drop me off at our town library every Saturday. And I developed a relationship with the librarians so that they trust they knew there was like a limit you know you can only take out 12 books or whatever that would be and they realized that i was very trustworthy and so they waived that limit for me so i was i I would bring not like kathy Kathy. (laughs) (laughs) let her take four Well, I used to bring a duffel bag to the library and I would fill up oh my a, gosh. a duffel bag and then I would take them home and I would read a duffel bag's worth of books and then bring them back again. Oh but I, the best thing about reading when you're a kid is that you have no idea of genre or right. uh, high or low or, you know, so I read like, I read a lot of Westerns. I read a lot of mysteries and thrillers and I, I didn't know the difference between like YA and adult. So I just zigzagged sure. back and forth. Awesome. And you just completely immerse yourself in it. And also when we went out with my parents, the only place that errand where they would buy us things is if we went into a bookstore. Mm-hmm. So it was like, that was, yeah. it was, that was like a, a green light when there was a lot of red lights everywhere else. So yes. um, I read incessantly, but my brother and sister did not. So I don't know how much of an influence, you know, like it's whether you're open to this thing, this, you know, candy, this thing oh, held up to you. Mm. I wonder if that's where Eddie's um, duffel bag came from. Yeah, maybe. maybe. He stumbled on a duffel bag, right? Yeah, right. Oh, you're right. That's nice. So did that influence uh, you being a writer? Yeah, well, probably. I mean, I did read incessantly. And then when I was in fourth grade, Um, you know, they give you those vocabulary assignments where you have a list of vocab words and then you have to make sentences out of them, which I'd had, you know, from when I could write. But in fourth grade for the first time, the teacher gave us a list of words and said, I want you to connect the sentences. So it makes like a a little Mm. scene or a little paragraph. And so I went home and did it. And I I thought it took me like, uh, uh, like five minutes. And I looked up at the clock and it had taken 45 minutes. And that like blew my mind because it was the first time outside of playing that like time had disappeared like that. And I just remember just like looking at the clock and being like, this is magic. Like this is the stuff. And so I started writing a novel the next day. Oh Um, my goodness. I wrote like 10 pages. And of course it was about like, it was about a wartime orphan. And then I started another one about a wartime nurse because I apparently decided that if I was going to be a serious novelist that I had to be about war, even though I knew nothing about war. Um, You know, so that was really when I decided that I wanted to be a writer. And then I was terrifically shy, so I didn't tell anyone um, for as long as possible. 
Wow. So it did influence. I love that. Well, Anne, this has been a real treat. I mean, you're, you're a real pro. So you went right wow. through all those little frozen moments. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, we did have a good time. We do it. Absolutely seamless. Yeah. But it was yeah. a real treat to have you. And there's a, several lines. I'm going to listen to the program again just so I can catch some of those beautiful oh. lines. And, oh, thank you for writing. So are you. So are you. This was thank wonderful. Um, thank you. All of you out there listening, we hope you'll reach out to Books Are Magic and get your 10% discount on Anne's Dear Edward, now out in paperback, as well as our upcoming novels with the code FRIENDS10. And I just wanted to say thank you again to Page One Books for being our sponsor. I um, wanted to tell you all that buying and store manager and genius matchmaker at Page One um, Cheryl is her name. Her phone autocorrects V to TBR. So I don't know it's about you, but so that's great. someone that I want choosing books <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and don't forget that you get 20% off on Mama, Mama, Mama Geraldine's traditional Southern <laughs> snacks. Um, Luckily, I'm the one who eats the gluten-free because my sons have stolen all the other goodies anyway. <laughs> so it's not just for us ladies. They have eaten all the cookies and all the key lines and everything else. So don't forget, you get 20% off with Fab Five. And right, tell us what your favorite is when, you, when you're on the comments. We like to hear what your favorites are. So snap on, y'all. It's such a good time. So join us next Wednesday night right here at 7 p.m. And if this is your first visit with us, we hope you'll become a member of Friends in Fiction and enjoy a wonderful community of readers. You can catch any episode any episode you missed on our website at www.friendsinfiction.com or on our YouTube channel. And thank you so much. And thank you all for joining us. Happy thank reading. You. Happy reading. Thank you, Anne. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. That was so nice. That was so great. I loved her. When she talked about the tuning fork, I I agree Mm -hmm. with you, Christy. That was Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. She was incredible. She really was. I loved learning about that. And I just, I cannot imagine. I I wanted to ask you all this. When you're writing, can you? Are there things that you can write about, sort of effortlessly, and they barely phase you? That if you were reading about them, they just rip you apart. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why is that? I sometimes yeah. feel if I'm not when I, there's important scenes, if I don't cry when I even write them, then I, I haven't hit the note. Hmm. Hmm. I, can, I can. I know for myself, I'll walk away from a. I know I'm I'm building up to a scene, a big scene, and I'll go out, I'll walk around, or I'll mm-hmm. I'll, I'll avoid it, you know, and I'll tell mm-hmm. myself, well, it's because I don't, you know, I didn't haven't done the research or whatever. But I, in reality, yeah, it's me avoiding um, writing this scene that ha- that has a lot of emotion and impact, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. or fear. When I was writing the. Uh, Mm-hmm. the shipwreck scenes and they're floating on the sea for five days and five yeah. nights. And, so and, I'm, yeah. it, and I'm reading the, the journal, the true journal of the woman who survived. And I can, I feel panicky and I'm having at night, I was having dreams about water seeping under my door. And, <gasps> and so, but when I was doing the actual, like you, Christy, when I was actually hand on keys, writing the scene, I was okay. Yep. It was thinking about it, dreaming about it, or yep. reading about it in her journal yep. that I felt panicky. But in the actual fingers on keys, yep. I was actually all right. Isn't that strange? Same, same. No, it's it's the same thing with me. I feel like I grieve them during the outline process when I realize yeah, 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 yeah. To, if yeah. I realize I'm gonna have mm-hmm. to kill somebody off, but then I know, but I, I know the entire time that that's coming. Mm-hmm. So like the grief happens way before I get mm-hmm. there. And when I get Pre-grief. there, I mean, Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but then by the time I get there, I think I'm just thinking about the mechanics of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how yeah. is this person getting to that point, and how, mm-hmm. as a writer, can I make mm-hmm. this moment kind of soar? But but the the grief I feel has already been dealt with. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I always yeah. feel I always feel like I'm emotionally stunted 
because I, I feel like, um, you know, my books are mostly lighthearted and rom-com. <laughs> so it's really hard for me to find those words and, you know, go deep and, yeah. and talk about those emotions. I can remember I wrote a mystery series, a Callahan Garrity mystery series. And one of the, one of the books I wrote, Heart Trouble, my protagonist's mother, Edna, who was based on basically basically inspired by my own mom, but named after my grandmother. My mother had just had a heart attack yeah. and drove herself to the hospital, to the emergency room and presented herself and said, um, I'm having a heart attack. So you need to, you know, take oh care of me. God. Good Lord. You'd have, you'd have to know my mom, but I wrote that scene. Sounds like somebody else I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I No, I would be such a baby. Um, I wrote that scene and Edna drives herself to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And when I wrote the scene with Callahan experiencing it and talking and experiencing it, I can remember so vividly being curled up in a ball on the window seat of our house, terrified Mm -hmm. for Callahan because again, you know, it was transference. um, And I was, I, I wasn't there when my mom, you know, I was living in Atlanta and she was down in St. Pete, but I, um, writing about it made it terrifying and real wow. to me. You were in memory. You know, it's interesting. The only time that I actually really escaped, sometimes you write for escape too. And when my mama was passing, I wrote Second Star to the Right, which mm-hmm. is about Peter Pan, a woman who thinks she's Peter Pan's Wendy. And it was really me being able to take care of my mama and then go in the other room and go into another world. And so in that respect, it wasn't fearful or sad. It was just otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And that that was, I think, when Anne was talking tonight about not wanting to give that up, to be in yeah. a place you really love. I hated to leave London and this old brownstone and Wendy and Peter yeah. Pan, no less, yeah. you know. Do does everybody get sad when they finish a book? Yeah, I'm so sick of it. No, I, I'm sad. Mine's weird. Mine's like a weird process because I am so ready to be finished with it by the time I turn it in. But then it's like after I turn it in, then I start. To There's like it. this weird letdown. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, oh, those were my friends, and I was with them so much, and I really miss them. I woke and, up every morning to think about yeah. what was going to happen next with them, and now yeah. they're. And the yeah. hard to think about someone else. Yeah, I got to right. begin again. Yeah. I, I, I will say that there's sometimes you create a world a fictional world and looking back on it, you wish you could inhabit that world. You're not, not right about it. Cause when we're writing that world, we have a responsibility to tell our readers and bring the readers into that world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, um, thinking about the world of the book that you, I had a friend yeah. that was the movie critic for the AJC for the Atlanta constitution for many years. Mm-hmm. So she interviewed every big star that came through Atlanta and she would ask every every actress, you know, Woody Allen, Catherine Hepper, everyone, um, if you could live in the world of a, of a movie, what movie would you live in? Oh, wow. that's a great question. That's a great. Yeah. It'd be yeah. great to ask authors what book. You know what? Let's do it. <laughs> I like that. that. It is, a, it is yeah. a good question. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, no, I like movies that have sort of a historic <laughs> feel to it. So. Uh, okay, girls, do you, not, do you have any idea what, what movie you'd like to move into and live in? Mm. Yes. What was the one with Diane Keaton where she had that gorgeous beach house? Oh, uh, as good as it gets. Yes. Yes. As good as it gets. I love that but she's one. she's laughing and crying and she's yes. writing away. That's a, <laughs> that's a great movie. That's a huge Broadway hit. That's yeah, that's good. Yeah. How about you, How about you, um, Kristen? What, is there a movie you'd live in? I don't well, know. Gosh, how could it be anything but Paris for me, right? It would have to be something that takes place in Paris. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Mm-hmm. The first one that came to mind was, um, I think it was a 1980 movie, early 80s, called Somewhere in Time with uh, Christopher oh, yeah. and Seymour. Oh, yes. And it, it's such a beautiful, just heart-wrenching movie that takes place in two time periods. Mm-hmm. In gosh, it's somewhere... I think it's on one of the Great Lakes, maybe. God, I Neck Neck Island, I think. Yes, me, yes, I think it is. Mm-hmm. But it's this just be, big, beautiful hotel that's a real hotel. Like, I guess I, I actually would love to go there. 
Yes. I, I actually I couldn't have been this girl. Isn't it? But, um, yeah. The Grand Hotel? Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. I think it is. Yeah. I think my, um, somewhere I think in time. My parents yeah. Somewhere in time. the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Christopher Reeves was in it. Yeah, God, Christopher Reeves and James Seymour. Yeah, but that the the music the the movie, I I loved the movie, but visually it was such a beautiful movie too. But how can I answer anything but Paris? I'm ashamed of myself. You can do yeah, what was the see, here's looking to, at you, kid. What what was it, the movie? Uh, Humphrey Bogart. Which one? Oh, Casablanca. Is that what you're Casablanca? About? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'm interrupting you. Yeah. I'm interrupting you because I'm so excited. Andrea Katz just sent me a text that Under the Southern Sky got a starred review in Publishers Weekly. Very proud that is the perfect way to end the night. Really well, wait a minute, but Christy, you had something else you needed to share with us tonight. Yes, a birthday. Oh yes, it's my husband's <laughs> birthday. Happy birthday, Will! Happy, Happy birthday, birthday Will. Will! And congratulations, Christy. That was like the best birthday present to your family. I That is the champagne, Christy. Yes, yeah, to you. Oh my God, that is such good news. Sorry, I totally interrupted, but it like came no, no. in the corner of my screen. No, that was perfect. Story. How could you not? Oh my God, that's perfect. Amazing. Well, okay, I think we need to let you go home to Will. It is his birthday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go, go into Will. Will. Thank you all. What, movie, what movie would you move into? Um, I, don't I don't know about a movie. So I've always wanted to live in the Gilmore Girls. I mean, I just, I love yeah. that town, mm. that show. Yeah. and. Um, yeah. There was a, a lot of like, but Beaufort where I live reminds me a lot of Stars Hollow and just all I've of that. Never watched it. Oh my gosh, it's you would like it. I think I don't know. I mean, now it's it's. I, I watched it when I was younger, and you know how my you editor it. loved it. My editor at Harper loved it, and she was a huge Gilmore Girls fan. Mm-hmm. So. so Rory Gilmore was my exact same age. So like going uh, through all the stages of life and like we were both journalism majors. Like I looked back and I was like, wow, did I make life decisions because of the Gilmore girls? Like, <laughs> and so when they did the remake, I actually wrote a column about my predictions for the Gilmore girls and how she had been off air for so long that she was probably following me and how I assumed that in this new <laughs> remake, she was going to write a book and she did. <laughs> did she really? Oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay, Patty, awesome. what movie would you move into? Oh, gosh, like 50 have flitted through my head while we've been yeah. sitting here talking. But the first, I'm just going to say the first thing that popped in my head is, uh, was, but I'm joking, is Outlander. But then, um, <laughs> but I don't really want to live in the Scottish countryside and, and be freezing. But you get Jamie. But, yeah, I think you get Jamie. <laughs> but um, I am obsessed with this TV show series called Endeavor. And it oh, yeah. takes takes place in Oxford. And so oh, it starts in like 1951 Oxford. And now we're up to like 1977. Yeah. And you just, he gets to live in Oxford. Now he's a detective and I don't want his right. life, but the scenery and the countryside and the houses and the people. So don't get, don't let me be Endeavor, but I want to live in that world. Okay, Sean, wait, Sean, what's his name? Sean, Sean Evans. Okay, when you read Summer of um, Lost and Found, I've got the title. When you see Gordon, that is him. That's, That's who Sean Evans after Sean Evans. Wow. <gasps> he plays, he plays Endeavor. Mary Alice, is there a book? That you, our movie that you would move into? Well, I think um, as good as it gets. I, I love that. She oh, that's right. You said that. that. And she's very is- cool. She's um, love that movie. I love that. Love her house. Her turtlenecks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Diane Keaton always wears the turtlenecks. Mm-hmm. Like me. Like and all of us tonight. Turtlenecks tonight. So mine is uh, both of them are Audrey Hepburn movies. Oh, naturally. Uh, my first one is Sabrina. Forever. Oh, oh, yeah. I just watched it. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm. With the Givenchy gowns? Yes. Tell me now. I want her waistline. I want her. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Givenchy dressed her. You know, they had costume designers um, for these movies that uh, Hepburn was in, but Givenchy, she would say, you know, Givenchy dresses me. So, and then the other one I love is um, Charade with. Carrie Grant. Yes, yes, yes. I don't think I've ever seen an Audrey Hepburn movie I did not like. Yeah. Two for the Road was pretty cynical. I didn't love that one. 
Uh, well, I remember the scene where they fell back on the bed and they were all sunburned and they said, we're going to go for it anyway. <laughs> that was such a great scene. Yeah. All right. Well, I just think we have to let Christy give Will a, a, a <laughs> for his birthday. So happy birthday, Will. We had a big night. birthday celebration like all day. I made him okay. blow out three sets of candles. Like it's, he, he does not like birthdays and I am obsessed with them. So oh. I don't know how we found each other, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, somebody you, says, can we name all these movies in a list for us to watch, please? Yeah, uh, yes, yes, we can. I'll put them yes. up. Yeah, we also see that. in the comments, Meg is saying a lot of people are asking about our Friends in Fiction t-shirts in the video. So we promise we'll have news about that. Yes. We, we are already done that, that Patty. And you know, probably. the other thing we, we keep talking about, what we should do is really ask our guest if they would take a, a snap of their net nightstand. Of what's on their bedside. Of what they're reading. Yes. Yes. What are you reading? Shelfies. Let's take some shelfies. Yeah. 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 All right. Good night, everybody. All right, girls. Night. See you you later. Good night. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.